Well, good morning, everyone. Wow, it's just, you're getting way too predictable. Um, way more predictable than the weather. I know exactly where you guys are going to sit now before you even come in the door. So you, maybe you want to mess with my brain a little bit next week and kind of sit somewhere else just so I... No, it's really good to see you. It's so fun greeting you uh, in the mornings and seeing your faces and talking about your weeks and all the different things. So just really uh, pleased to be here with you this morning. I want to welcome uh, everyone uh, that is here, of course, but also those that will watch later on on our YouTube channel. Uh, again, my name is Pastor John, and I don't know how to say this, but I don't know if it's Happy Independence Day, Weekend, Week. How is that? I mean, how are you guys doing? Are you doing the Independence Week, or are you doing two weekends, or I don't know, just the one day? So I talked to my mailman this week, and he says, well, we get the fourth off. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's what you get for working for the government. So, but anyway. So uh, why don't you get your Bibles out and open up to Ephesians 2 as we get ready to get into um, this morning's message. But uh, any news fanatics out there? Do you guys follow news um, on the TV, on your apps, phones, whatever, tablets? Yeah, uh, pretty nutso world out there, isn't it? Pretty crazy. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm getting a little older now, not much, but I'm getting a little older every year. And it's amazing how much the world has changed just in my lifetime. Um, it's always had its struggles, you know, the world's always struggled, no doubt about it. Um, but I know during my lifetime it certainly accelerated, it seems like. Um, we've certainly had like uh, scientific advances and technology has advanced to whew, way beyond. Uh, think about this, 1955 is kind of when the TV started. And when you think about that until where we are now, it's just like mind-blowing how much. But at the same time, it doesn't seem to be advancing morally in any way. In fact, if you're kind of watching the news and looking at these things, you're actually seeing our moral decline worldwide. It's a decline, not an advance. So all these things that we're advancing in as a world doesn't seem to help our spiritual side of life at all. Um, it, at least that's the way I see it. So what I do is want to bring to our attention today, I should say, is that we're definitely going in the wrong direction. And I'm not finger pointing in any way or anything like that, but there's definitely a battle going on morally uh, around the world. Um, so as we begin our new series today, uh, We Have an Enemy, I really just wanted to kind of bring out over the next few weeks that we're at war. Uh, and this isn't uh, a war that is um, uh, kind of like a war that you would think of war. Um, but far too many of us do not understand that we're in this war. Um, I think sometimes we just kind of let our lives go on and um, we, we know something's a little off. We know something, something's not right, but don't really understand that we're in a battle. And this battle is for uh, over our souls. I hope you know that. Um, and that's what we're going to help bring out over the next few weeks um, uh, during our series here. But, oh my goodness, um, the battle is pretty serious. 
It's not just over territory in a sense, like over things, uh, buildings or, or oil fields or any of that thing. The battle is really over our souls. And uh, during this, we can be delusioned about war, of course, right? Um, but we can even not even understand who our enemy is. Uh, we can think it's one thing and it's actually another. And so that's what really this series is about. Um, probably our biggest contributor to our confusion is the fact uh, that the battle's not going on in a traditional mantle. In other words, it's not going on with swords and shields and horses or guns and tanks and these types of the things uh, like this that we would traditionally think about war. But wars uh, is actually in a realm that we don't even really see. And that's the scary part about this whole thing is that there, the war over our souls is in something that we don't often see very clearly. So the, the, the idea behind this series is to draw out some of those things, to recognize some of these things so that we can see them and then know how to defend and act against them. So um, Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Notice our battle's not against the things that we can see, but the things that we cannot see. Uh, however, God has not left us defenseless in this, has he? Uh, over the next few weeks, like I said, we're going to look at our enemies and how to fight against them. Our three major enemies are the world, our flesh, and the devil. And we're going to kind of go through those uh, again, like I've said. But today we're going to start with the world, how it's our enemy. Oftentimes, you may not even look at the world as an enemy. But over and over, the Bible talks about how the world is our enemy. And we're going to uh, kind of dig into that. But before we need to do that, we need to pray about that. We need to pray that God would open our ears and our eyes to that, right? And that his word, I pray, I do the job that I'm supposed to do and really just communicate what he wants for us today. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you how you love us so much that you have not left us here alone, that you're with us, that you're um, making it so evident that there's a battle going on to us today and over the next few weeks, Lord. And just pray, Lord, that um, we listen, we hear, and not just be hearers but doers through this whole thing and that um, we come out victorious because of your son, Jesus. So we thank you today. Thank you for our time together in Christ's name. Amen. So in high school, um, I had a football coach. I love football. Uh, I know you're looking at, man, you're not very big for playing football, but that it, in football, in high school, all you got to do is be fast. That's all you got to do. And I was fast, and so I could do that. So I, I had a decent uh, time in football. I played all four years, loved every bit of it. But what was really kind of weird and annoying at the time was that our football coach would take us during the week and the game that we were prepping for, we'd watch like hours and hours and hours of films. He would play these things over and over and over again and it would, I, I remember just laughing at it as a kid. Um, first of all, do you all know what film is? Okay, that's, just had to clarify that. Um, but that's what we do. We watch these big reels of film, and, 
and he'd rewind them and watch them again and watch, and it was just a really cool thing to do, but at the time I didn't appreciate it. But what they were trying to do uh, was formulate a game plan uh, for our next um, game. And so we would watch these over and over and over. And so we'd be in a good position to win on game day. So my question to you is if we're in a war, have you ever studied the enemy? Have you ever taken a look at who he is? Uh, my coach did this so that the victory would be at least possible. Without it, you could imagine not studying and going into a football game and just showing up for the day and end up just trying to play the game. Chances are we wouldn't be too victorious. So the first step um, to victory is to recognize the enemy, according to Corey Temboom, who's a Christian uh, writer, was a Christian writer. I'll read that again. It says, the first step on the way to victory is to recognize the enemy. So that's what the goal is over the next couple of weeks, to recognize the enemy. You may not even be uh, aware that the enemy is, um, is real as it is. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I want to win. I do. I really want to win. And I hope you do too. Um, so let's watch some game films, if you, were, if you will. Uh, we're going to take a look at the world, kind of look at them as a, as a film, as a, we're prepping for war. Uh, the first thing we see about the world, it was made by God. Um, Genesis 1.1, we know this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and God looked over everything he had made, the earth, the heavens, the plants, the animals, and man, and saw it was very good. Then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So what we see here is that God made the world. So this is where we get a little confused that how can the world be our enemy? If God made it and he said it's very good, what happened? What, what's going on here? How, why and how is the world our enemy? Um, God in his great wisdom and for his pleasure creates the entire world with a word. He just says it and it happens. And when God creates, we can be assured that everything's going to be good, right? But then when we look at the world, like I said, we look at it and we go, eh, it's not so good. So what happened? Genesis 2 tells us that in the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you shall eat, you shall surely die. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God's words, right? And brought sin into the world. So now we know another thing. We're looking at our game films. We know God created the world, but now we know that because of man, it's fallen. That it, it has come short of what God wanted it to be. Uh, the world that God had created not only knows good, but now also knows evil. We know how to do it. In fact, it's part of our sin nature. We have fallen into sin and rebellion against God. As a result, it, uh, we become or we come under the power of the world's ruler. And uh, 
we know who this is, but uh, it's Satan and his power. In fact, listen to what uh, Jesus says about Satan. Uh, John 8, 44 says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we went from having God as father in the perfect garden when we made the choices we made to walk away from the Lord, we now have a new father, and uh, we know that to be Satan. But Satan is a prince. I call him a wannabe king. He, that's what he wanted to be, right? Uh, we know that when Satan fell, that was his goal. He, he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be king. He wanted to be ruler. But we know because we read the history book here, our Bibles, we know that he's never going to be king. In fact, he will be dethroned eventually. But until then, he is the prince of this world. Revelation 12 kind of lets us know that he will be dethroned. He says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So we know that over time that God obviously was not pleased with Satan's disobedience, cast him to the earth, but then eventually he is cast out of even that domain. And we know that God has created a place called hell for him and his angels, and that one day will, will happen. But until then, we're, the world is under the influence of the prince of this world, Satan. The Apostle John testified to this in 1 John 5. He says, the, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And I like the, the words that John uses there, the sway of the wicked one, meaning that he can't make you do anything. We were laughing a little bit before the service today and talking about the old Flip Wilson uh, thing. You remember the, I don't know if you're old enough, the devil made me do it. Does anybody know Flip Wilson? Well, anyways, again, aged myself there a touch. But the devil can't make you do anything. And I hope you know that. But he, we are under his sway. He can present things to us. He can tell us things or suggest things to us. But we don't have to do them, but we often do. Uh, also, a thing that we're looking at our game film here is that the world, it's a home to the spiritually dead and the spiritually alive. So the, the world houses both. Every man and woman, child, every born, uh, be, begins our life spiritually dead. Think about that for a minute. You're... I know it's kind of a rough thing to think about your little brand new newborn, uh, but basically when that baby is born, it's spiritually dead. Um, but it's a result of our fo fallen world. It's our sin nature. Uh, however, by the grace of God, we can be made alive by placing our faith in Christ, right? We know this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die. And that's what we just talked about. Because we are born of Adam, or out of Adam, and he sinned, now we're all sinners. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. And we've been, um, over the last couple of weeks, we talked about what it means to be a new creature, and we talked about the defining 
uh, thing there was being in Christ. However, God does not yet separate the dwelling place of the spiritually dead and the spiritually alive. And you ever think about that? You ever kind of put it to thought, just kind of wondering why God just doesn't, okay, we're saved, uh, we're spiritually alive, why aren't we just gone? Uh, well, he has his purposes and his uh, reasons for doing that, and we'll touch on that in a minute. But um, the following verses are a great reminder to me of the fact that both are here, and both are here for a reason. So here, let's read uh, the rest of, uh, or part of Ephesians 2 here, 1 through 3. It says, and you he made alive, who were, I love that word, were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So he's helping us understand there a little bit that we were once dead. If you are now spiritually alive, you were once dead, and you walked according to the, the world and its leader. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now works in the sons of disobedience. So we have a clear uh, kind of a picture here is that we're in the world. There are those that obey and those that are not obeying among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. I really like the phrase, course of this world. Uh, Paul reminds the Ephesian believers that they were once followed the world's direction immorally, uh, all their ungodliness and all their rebellion. And if you're here today in Christ, that was you. Whether you thought of yourself that way or not, that was what you were doing. That's what I was doing. We were in, if we're not his, we are counter to him and opposed to him. We were living in the world. I love uh, C.S. Lewis, how he puts it. He says, um, enemy-occupied territory, that is what the world is. And when you think about that, uh, if, I don't know if anybody's ever lived in a foreign land before, but when you are in Christ, all of a sudden the world becomes foreign. It becomes enemy-occupied territory. And it's, may, that may sound a little harsh when you think about your friends and your loved ones and your neighbors that do not know Christ, but in a, in, in a way that we're talking alive and dead spiritually, that's exactly what transpires when you come to Christ. All of a sudden, you're his, and that you're no longer the enemies, but now you're in enemy territory. It's also a place, the world is a place of decision. Uh, it's, it is in the world that everyone is given the choice to follow God or not. It's kind of a, I don't know if you ever thought about the world and your time here, but that's really what's going on. Um, like we said, we're born spiritually dead, and God gives us in all his grace and all his mercy, uh, he gives us time. It's a place in which we can come to know him or continue in disobedience. Um, I, I want the Lord Jesus to come back quickly. Uh, scriptures tell us about that, tells us that he is going to come like a thief in the night and he's just going to, in the blink of an eye, he'll be here. And I want that to come, but then the Lord corrects me and he says, well, there's others that I need 
to testify to, the others that I need to bring, be a witness to, others that uh, need to hear the gospel. And then I'm corrected, right? But we know that the world, even though it has both, it is this place of decision. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And I love the little parentheses, by grace you have been saved. Please remember, but it's only by the grace of God that if you are here today in Christ, it's only by his grace that he didn't come sooner, that he give us this world as a place of decision. Another thing we need to know about the world, and I call it looking at the game films because we're looking at the enemy, right? The world is dying. Uh, contrary to all the scientific data out there and what they would like you to believe that we're always evolving and getting better and getting newer and things are greater and all these different stuff that they... Again, the course of this world would like us to believe that's not the truth. When Adam and uh, Eve fell into sin, they not only died spiritually, but the very ground on which they stood died as well. Genesis 3.17, then to Adam, he said, God talking to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But there is more good news in this thing, right? Jesus came to save it too. And you go, say what? Well, he came not only to save the people, but he came to actually save the world as a whole. So um, we know 3.16, right? John 3.16, but look at 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Um, That all things there includes the ground. Now, your brain's already going, wait a second, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. True. But that is what really has to happen. You and I were made new creations. We had to start all over to be uh, in the new world, right? And it's the same thing you will do one day with the world. He's going to make it brand new. So that makes us understand that this world that we know of will be replaced. We're going to get a new one. Think about that for a moment. Well, I like the old one. That might be part of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about that in a minute, but um, it's going to be replaced. Revelation 21 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John's vision. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It's going to be replaced. Also, there was no more sea. One day there's going to be a new heaven and earth, but only those who have been made new themselves will experience the new heaven and earth. Did you know that? Did you know that only those that have been brand new are going to be fit to go into the new heaven and the earth? And so when we talk about a place of decision, and uh, that's what this time is, and that's what this current world is, 
we have to make sure that we are prepared as well. Are we ready? Are we made new in Christ to be able to be prepared to go into the new heaven in the new earth? Uh, this is a war that we are to concern ourselves with, right? Um, it's a battle over souls. We know this. Uh, the disobedient under the influence of the current world will not experience the new world. Um, I don't know about you, when I hear, read through my Bible and I see things like this, when I think about those that don't know Christ, that are my friends, my family, my coworkers, these people in the community, I, this bothers me. And not, I don't just get sad I, to the point where I'm going, oh, that's a bummer, they're not gonna get to go. No, I think about where they are headed. Uh, the, this isn't just not getting to go to Disneyland. Um, God says that the obedient and the disobedient are going to be in two separate places eventually. Now we're together, but there will be a time that we're going to be in two completely different places. The new world, the new heaven, new earth for in the presence of Almighty God. And for the disobedient, they will be in a place called hell, uh, separated from him forever. And that's sad to me. But it's more than sad. It moves me. It, it encourages me to get out of my seat and, and go to my neighbor, go to my friends. Whenever, every appointment that you have during the week is a God appointment. Do you believe that? I believe that. It's either to encourage you with somebody that knows the Lord or it is to uh, be, have you be the encourager for someone that does not know him. Uh, Matthew 25, 46 is a testament to this. It says, and these, uh, meaning those the disobedient, will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So just a little recap. Uh, I hope I made my old football coach proud by looking at the game films, looking at a, a little bit of my enemy. Um, we have reround the film, Right? We've kind of looked at what the world looks like. But we have a couple of problems. First, the battle we're in is not a game. It's not like my football game on the weekends, right? It's a real deal. We're in a real war. I hope you know that. And secondly, it's not just for the weekend. Uh, the, the battle isn't just here, like this morning. It's all the time. It's each and every day. It's every single minute of the day. And so we're in a serious war. So like my coach, we should have a plan, right? So what is the plan? Um, there's no way my coach would ever allow me to, or our team just to show up for the day without a plan. We'd get slaughtered, right? So the first, um, I'll say the playbook Let's look at one of the things that are in God's playbook. He said, believers are called out of the world, but still live in it. We touched on that just a minute. But um, the moment that you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've actually been called out. Does that make sense? That we've been called out of the world, out from under its leader, out from the things that it does. Uh, things should start to... Uh, begin to change in our life. In fact, everything in our lives should begin to change except our location. Uh, we're still here on the planet. He doesn't take us away. 
but as we come to know the Lord as believers, things start to change. And one of the things that should change is our love for the world and the things in, of it, in it. We're not to love it more, but we're actually to love it less. And um, I think sometimes that as believers, uh, we may know that the first week or month or year of our conversion, and then that starts to rub off, and we get ourselves ingrained right back into the things of the world. Uh, John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So do you see what happens when we begin to love the Father or love the world? We love the Father less. And I think that's a, a, a key play in our playbook that we should remember is that as we begin to love the world and love the things, if that's what we revert back to, we actually are loving the Father less. And that should, that should mess with our brains. Um, there are many reasons that we should lose our love for the world, but here's a, I'll give you three. First, uh, the love for the Father fades uh, when we love the world and the things in it. And this is so true. Just think about our calendars for a moment. How many of the days are spent loving the world and the things in it? And I did this personally this, this week when we were studying for this. I began to look at things and uh, all I can, I can give you the one word. It's scary. Um, secondly, we are loving a world that is being replaced. Think about that for a second when we love the world and all the things in it. We're loving something that's not even going to be here any longer. Um, but it's easy to get invested in these things, and I get it. We live here. But someone said that investing in a world that is passing away is like rearranging the deck chairs on the sinking Titanic. I'll let that one sink in for a minute. It's going down. And we're more concerned about getting the chairs straight on a ship that's going down and the chairs are eventually going to be in the water and everything around it. But that's really a perspective thing that I'm, I'm hoping that all of us kind of take in a little bit this morning. How much of the world are we loving? Are we invested in all those things? Or are we invested more in the things of God? Third, thirdly, uh, we've been left here for a reason. And we've stated that a little bit, but just before leaving the world and heading back to the Father, Jesus prays, we often call this the priestly prayer, but in John 17, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Come on, Jesus, take me out. But Jesus says, no, I don't pray that you take them out, God, he says, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So Jesus actually tells us who our enemy is right there in the world. He says it's the evil one, but you need, I want them to stay here, but God, would you protect them against the evil one? We've now been called out of the world to do the will of the Father. That's why we've been called out. If we're going to continue in disobedience instead of obedience, why did he call us out? The Greek word translated here is interesting um, when he says keep us from something, keep us from the evil one. It means to cause to continue. 
In other words, Jesus is praying that God would continue keeping believers from the evil one. In other words, on a continual basis. And I always think of it this way, if I'm continually doing the work that the Lord wants me to do, he'll continually keep me from the evil one. It's when we engage in the evil one's tasks or being influenced by the evil one is when God can't help us. God can't protect us. We're, we're following the evil one versus God's plan for us. Uh, the next thing that um, we can do in our little playbook here is believers are to maintain contact with the world but be recognizably different. There should be a difference in us when we come to know Jesus. Uh, James, in the book of James, he challenges us, uh, a group of believers, actually in us today, apparently that we're not quite living the way they should be living after they've come to know the Lord. James speaks to them pretty harshly here. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, or you're basically your God's enemy? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't know about you, I was an enemy of the Lord way too long. I don't want to be his enemy no more. I live that life. I don't want that life, and I pray you don't want it either. One of the greatest mistakes that believers can make is that their life does not look any different prior to Christ and after Christ. The life it just looks the same. Um, it's interesting. One of the best evaluators of this is, um, I found, is that I came to Christ later in life. So they knew who I was here, and then they knew me after Christ. And the testimony, praise the Lord, is that my coworkers and my friends began to say things like, you doing okay? You're acting a little weird lately. You're doing stuff that you never used to do. You're, you're hanging out different places. Why, why are you going to church so much and you've got a Bible on your desk at work now. Why are these things happening in your life? And believe me, it took me a while to catch on to what the Lord wanted me to do, but the challenge here is that we need to look different than before. When we were living in the world, we need to look different. If we're looking just like the world, how can we hope in any way shape or form that the Lord can use us. Um, Jesus warns us about looking like the world in his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's really an encouragement, but at the same time, in between the lines here, I really see Jesus pointing out something to us. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus uses it without going into a little sub-sermon here about the, uh, the light and darkness and salt and of the earth. He uses this example for a real good reason. Um, salt was used, right, we know, to season food. Everybody probably in here uses some type of salt. 
but the hope is that it makes your food taste better. Uh, in the same way, believers are to be the salt of the earth, right? We're supposed to make the world a better place just by how we act, just how by way we speak. All this encouragement comes through the Spirit and through uh, learning who the Lord would have us be. We are meant to change the flavor of the earth. However, like salt, if the believer loses his flavor, he does nothing to change the flavor of the world. When we come in contact with the world and just blend in with the world, God can't use us to change the world. Uh, believers are to remain uncontaminated by the world. James says this as well. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Uh, true religion, James says, is hands-on work. When you come to know the Lord, things change, right? Things are happening. Two of the primary things that James talks about here are widows and orphans. You begin to care about people that God cares about, and those things are there. Um, but there's a warning in this thing too, in a sense. He also says that part of interacting with the world is to not become spotted by it. Um, caring for those who struggle and care for them is, um, in the, those that God loves is part of the work of God that he would have us do. He says it's pure and undefiled religion. But also there's a warning that as we engage with the world that we don't get spots on us. Um, it's always a good um, asking yourself this question. Am I placing my mark on the world or is it placing, placing its mark on me? Uh, it's, it's a rough thing, isn't it? Working and interacting with what we would now call the enemy. Uh, yeah, we're, we're called to go out into the world and interact with it, to be an influence on it, but at the same time, not allowing that to put a mark on us. Um, and this mark that we're talking about um, is really a moral mark. Uh, like, we don't want to be spotted morally, so we're to be unspotted morally. Um, so when we notice a stain, a moral stain, we should be quick to get out the stain remover. Uh, do you guys know what the stain remover is? We're not perfect, right? Are we? No. We're living in this world. We're not perfect yet. But the stain remover is always confession. It is always, and you'll hear me use this verse a lot because I love this verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that verse has, a, has the idea of that we got spots on us, we're dirty, and we need cleaning up. So yeah, we're going to make mistakes, and yeah, we're going to be in the world, and we're going to have we're going to get a spot or two on us, but there is a way out of the spots. We can use the ultimate stain remover, and that is confession. And then believers are to overcome the world. Um, so what is the formula for this? First John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? There's a danger in thinking that we can overcome the world by any other means other than faith. Uh, no picking yourself up by your bootstraps, no reading the self-help books, none of those things are going to get it. 
Uh, it's only faith in the Lord. Only the person is truly born of God and in his righteousness will overcome the world. Um, I like the idea that we're, we're told here that faith uh, is the thing that helps us overcome because faith gives us an eternal perspective. Prior to faith, we only had a temporal uh, view of life. We only saw things temporary. But when faith comes into the mix, Christ gives us a whole new view, a whole new perspective. Our, our perspective should come now not looking at the things of this world, but now thinking at the things that are eternal uh, and those of things of God. So faith helps us from loving the things of this world more than the things, um, uh, more than the things of God. Faith helps us from looking like the world and losing our ability to make a difference. And faith helps us place our mark on the world rather than placing its mark on us. So as we kind of wrap everything up here today and come to a conclusion, we will be taking communion today. But hopefully you have a little bit understanding of the world and how it's actually our enemy. We have an enemy We've studied him a little bit, really just scratched the surface of the world, but we tried to pull out some things that would help you understand who he is. We studied him, it, and know that the plan that God has leads to victory. Knowing God and placing our faith in his plan is the only way to overcome the world, and I hope you know that. So, as we take communion today, there's a little parallel I want to draw, I guess. Um, communion with Jesus or communion with the world? Really, what is it? Um, we always try to take a little bit of time uh, to prepare uh, for communion. Uh, in a minute here, we're going to have you... Uh, step up and grab the elements in a minute, but I'm gonna ask you to grab those elements and then really just take them back to your seat and really ask yourself this question. Am I, if I had to put it on a scale, am I in communion more with the world or am I in communion with our Father, with our God? And so just kind of pray through that um, if you've not yet put your faith in Christ, please understand this. The Bible talks about um, taking the Lord's table or communion in an unworthy manner. Um, it would be like um, taking it just as a ritual or taking it as a, uh, something just a religious thing to do if you're not yet His. Uh, however, there is good news today that if you put your faith in Christ, you can take worthily. It would make sense for you once you took uh, the free gift of salvation that now you would understand why his body was broken and his blood was shed. You would, it would make more sense and you would be taken in a worthy manner. So you can do that right where you're at. All you have to do is humble yourself before a holy God and confess your sins. Uh, if you need help with that, I would more, be more than happy to help you and walk you through that. But like uh, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is more than willing to forgive us of those sins and make us clean. And if that's you today, I would invite you to do so. 
So let's, um, let's take a moment, kind of go up in an orderly manner, and we have uh, elements at both tables this time, so you don't have to knock each other over and fight to get to them. But everybody grab one of those, if you would, as the band plays, and then come back to your seat, and we'll take together. Forever 
is so good looking out. I, I, maybe I shouldn't have been peeking, but to look at all of you, I don't know what you were thinking, what you were praying, but to, to see you in communion with God is such a blessed sight, and I always want you to know that. I pray that you were looking to him today, um, really being challenged by how much we are in communion with the world versus in communion with him. Uh, if you do not know the Lord today, please be encouraged that he wants you to know him. And uh, if I can help with that in any way after the service, or if you're on a journey, if you're not quite sure where you're at in that path, uh, just come and speak to me and I'll, I'll try to help you. So the first element that we have is a picture of uh, our Lord's body. The scriptures say that in 1 Corinthians 11 it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. May we remember the great cost what it took to rescue you and me out of this world. You can take the bread. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as we drink from the cup, which is a symbol of his shed blood, once again, may we remember what was necessary to free us from the sins of this world. Let's drink. Hebrews 9.22 says, And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So as we drank from that cup, may you remember what it took to get forgiveness of sin. Our Lord never instructs us how often we should take. Here at The Journey, we've been doing it kind of as a monthly thing. May it never be religious. May it never be a thing that we just do because it's the thing we do. But may be it, may be it for you a remembrance of what it took to set us free. But what he does say in verse 26 of that same chapter, he says, For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word proclaim means to announce. So by taking communion today, we announce who we're following. We're, we're announcing to the world who we are in communion with. So we do this until he comes. So as we dismiss today, I just want to say thank you for coming on this busy fourth weekend, on this Independence Weekend, but leave knowing that our dependence is on God. So God bless you as you go. Enjoy. Be safe over the next few days, and we'll see you back here next week. Thank you for joining the Journey Church.